Chapter 25. Every step on these silver stairs. I didn't know who else to talk to. Pickett sat on the floor of Leaper's Hall, beneath the third of the seven standing stones that split the center of the massive hall. They were alone in the great chamber, and Hayward settled onto the hard floor across from Pickett, his blue robe draped over his knees. I'm only a novice, he said, putting down his knife in a small box-shaped contraption, but I'm always here for you, my friend. I think I made a great mistake, Pickett said. He told Hayward about his last conversation with Smalls and about what Captain Fry had said to him. Hayward nodded, his face grave. Pickett concluded his story with tears pulling in his eyes. What if I've done it? What if I've placed such a heavy burden of guilt on Smalls that he does this foolish thing? What if I've played on his loyalties and loves, encouraging him to make a disastrous move? Pickett, I have listened to you. You speak humbly, contritely. Beneath the standing stones honoring our ancestors, this is fitting. Now, by Flint, I give you bold words. By Fay, words of wisdom. By all the leapers, I speak the truth. You may indeed have erred when you advised the prince to liberate the camp. It appears you have, but the prince is, well, he's the prince. He is responsible for the actions he takes. You are not. Pickett made to interrupt, to object, but Hayward held up a hand. Listen, Pickett, Prince Smalls was responsible for his decision when he followed Kyle's advice and went to Jupiter's Crossing. You were responsible for your decision when you followed him there and saved his life. But Hayward, Pickett said, wringing his hands, I knew the best counsel for him, and I undermined it by manipulating his heart. I'm more like Kyle at Cloud Mountain than me at Jupiter's Crossing. Not true, Pick. There is an enormous difference. I can't see it, Pickett said. Yours was advice based on hope and love, Hayward said. Kyle's was cold and calculating, given with ill intent. I'm not sure he would see it that way, Hayward. He would say he did it for the greater good and that he was only obeying his father. It's not the same, Pickett. You weren't motivated by power or compulsion, but love and loyalty. I'm afraid, Pickett said, getting to his feet, that both of us were motivated by our fear and pain. Try to enjoy the assembly tonight, Hayward said, reverently touching his ears, his eyes, and his mouth, and forget your woes. Hopefully the prince listened to his best advisors and bypassed the camp. We can all pray that he's safe and strong and on his way to Kingston now. By the leapers, Pickett said, glancing around. I hope so. Heather gazed around Leaper's Hall as the room steadily filled. The walls were a mixture of rock and clay, with great iron gates on the side leading out to Westfield. Beyond the gates stood a series of heavy doors, all hidden from outside by clever means. She hoped they would never have to flee a cave-in by that route, and that no enemy would ever somehow enter there. The floor of the hall was laid with stones, and the wooden stage was high. The center of the stage was raised even higher, and it was made of a large gray stone. In front of this central stone, Extending out into the hall were seven standing stones. These were surrounded by blue-robed votaries, who sat reverently beneath them, heads bowed, with whispered words on their lips. Heather Pickett had been raised to appreciate the leaping and to revere Flint and Fay, but here the devotion was intense and intentional. In fact, she had always thought of Flint and Fay like the first in a long line of heroes. In Cloud Mountain, it was much the same, though there were few votaries there during their stay. She had heard that devotion had grown in the day since her story of Pickett and Smalls had been shared. Lord Rake had said that Cloud Mountain's seven standing stones, once neglected, in a secluded area past the village green, were now visited by growing numbers of devoted rabbits. Here at Halfwind, Flint and Fay were more than old heroes to be admired. They were holy ancestors, touched by divinity. She found a place near the base of the seventh standing stone and looked around for Emma and Pickett. When she saw them, she waved to get their attention. Soon they all found a place in the shadow of the seventh stone where they could see the stage. As the crowd grew and settled in, Emma spoke quietly. I passed the Silver Prince's receiving room on the way here. 
she said. I couldn't see much, but I overheard arguing. He and his creepy advisor, that Tamith Seer character, were shouting at each other. Shouting? Heather asked. I can't imagine anyone shouting at Bluston. Exactly. Not if they value their lives. Emma said. He cultivates a jovial image, but it's easy to see that beneath it he's deadly serious. He gets his way, or there's a storm. I sense that right off. If anyone could argue with him, Pickett said, it would be Tamith. He's been Bluston's counselor for years. Maybe Bluston's going to do something he wasn't planning to do, Heather said, hopeful. I don't like it, Emma said. It felt so strange. These are strange days, Pickett said. Who knows what to expect? Like tonight, what are we doing here? Bluston called an assembly. Emma said, he's the ruler of this citadel now, and I think he wants to consolidate his power. But don't the votaries lead all gatherings here? Heather asked. They do, Emma answered, but they don't make military policy. In the past, they've always handed over the stage to Lord Ramnor. Tonight could be interesting. As she spoke, the senior votaries filed in two by two and mounted the steps leading up to the high stage. Reaching the top, they fanned out across the wide platform. The master votary, Prester Kell, and his wife, Sage Kins, came last of all. They stood in the middle, hand in hand. A thumping music struck up, pensive and loud. Votaries waved branches over the wall lamps, casting eerie shadows over the hall. The music intensified as those on stage bent and bowed, making slow, solemn motions that signified tremendous upheaval. Heather glanced around, noticing the rabbits of Terralane. For once, they were alarmed. Their eyes bulged as they felt for their swords. The music built to a fever pitch, and the votaries crashed to the platform. Then Prester Kell and Sage Kins rose solemnly. A light burst behind them, and they seemed to glow. Hands still clasped, they moved slowly to the edge of the stage. Drums thundered, the votaries roared, and the broken light made baneful shadows dance around the room. When Heather thought she could endure no more, the music suddenly stopped. Together, Kell and Kins leapt to the first standing stone. As they launched, the music returned, this time harmonious and bright. Trumpets blasted a happy anthem, joined by strings and voices singing in harmony. The chimes built up until they leapt in time with the trumpet's two-note refrain. The chief votary and his wife landed on the second standing stone, their feet hitting as a hail of cymbals crashed. This was repeated again and again until they reached the sixth standing stone. Heather, Pickett, and Emma gazed up at them along with the rest of the rapt, expectant crowd. They leapt to the trumpet's call and landed with a crash of cymbals and the thunder of drums. Finally, the music resolved in a melody Heather felt she must have heard before. When the music ended, there was silence. Kins sat on the seventh stone, and everyone, starting with the votaries, followed her lead and sat. Prester Kell touched his ears, his eyes, his mouth. As he did so, he sang, and though no instruments accompanied this song, most of the assembly joined in. Let us hear with humility, see with generosity, speak with honesty, and so leap with audacity. Prester Kell nodded, then held up his hand, turning slowly in a circle as he spoke. Gathered exiles of the mended wood, children of blessed flint and fay, greetings. I speak to you today from the seventh standing stone. Why? It is for this reason, my friends. The seventh stone is a stone of turning. We know what happened on the sixth stone. We know the wind hook well. But the seventh stone is where flint and fay could have turned back. This is where they paused, turned, and saw what was behind them. This is where their final decision was made. Would they turn back and return to the life they knew, back on immovable mountain? Or would they go on, becoming they knew not what in a land they could not hope to understand? Their dreams were not guides, but visions of what could be. This is where they turned and turned again and leapt at last into a new world. 
Heather sat taller, her gaze following the blue-robed prester as he circled above her. What would we do, faced with such a decision? Would we leap? I don't know what I would have done. I only know what I will do. In this moment, and every moment is a new leaping in miniature, I will do what our ancestors did. I will leap, and leap, and leap again. The crowd clapped, and the music began again as the assembly rose to cheer the prester. Kel bowed low then drew sage Kins to her feet and raised his hand for silence. He and Kins began to sing. Soon the whole assembly joined in. Bring us out of this mountain of doom, our upturned world of woe. Take us leap by leap by leap along to glories yet unknown. Every step on these silver stairs over ancient abysmal heights brings us closer to blue moss hills out of darkness and into the light. The immovable mountain heaved, and from stone to stone we soared. By Fay's stone book we look and see, and we live by Flint's stone sword. We go on with grateful hearts for this inheritance so kind. Our fathers dreamed, believed, and leapt, so that we one day might fly. When the song was done, Prester Kell turned toward the stage. My dear friends, he said, let us welcome one whom you all know. He has been for us a light in the darkness a hook of wind on our sixth step. He has been a gift of life. I invite Prince Blestin, King of Terralane, to speak to us all in this hallowed place. The applause came like thunder, and Heather turned to see the Silver Prince, flanked by a spectacularly decorated honor guard, making his way up the steps to the stage. The crowd roared and sprang to their feet. Heather stood with them, feeling a growing sense of dread. When at last the crowd was quieted, Blestin spoke. Heather reached out for Emma's hand and clasped it tight. "'Thank you, friends,' Blestin said, "'for your kind welcome, both to me and to my fellows. First of all, some things need to be made clear. Heather and Pickett Longtreader, please come forward and join me.' Heather was alarmed, and she saw that Pickett was frowning. Reluctantly letting go of Emma's hand, she made her way toward the stage alongside her brother. "'My dear friends, I give you the hero of Jupiter's Crossing and the scribe of the mended wood. The crowd cheered, and many rabbits reached out to touch them as they passed. They climbed the stairs. When they reached the platform, Blestin embraced them. Now, Blestin continued, there's another rabbit who needs to be up here. The crowd quieted as Heather's heart raced. She clung to Pickett's arm. Blestin looked down at the foot of the seventh stone. Emma, he said, please join us. Frowning, and through a smattering of applause, Emma slowly made her way toward the stage. Pickett shot a panicked glance at Heather. She stepped forward and tried to speak to Bleston, but he motioned for her to step back. Turning to the crowd as Emma reached the platform, Bleston spoke in slow, serious tones. I'm afraid Emma has a secret. <laughs>